Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintec studio here on a uh, Cinco de Mayo. Getting ready for the weekend. Cinco de Mayo. The NHL Draft Lottery. Yes. On Monday. 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 Cinco de Mayo. Today is Cinco de Mayo. No, I don't. I don't. And then just didn't put two and two together into margaritas today. tonight. Probably not. No, to be honest. Okay, but it, it, it's just not nice enough. It was sunny today. It's just <laughs> it was like last weekend. Yes. Well, I was sick last. Without weekend. the sickness. Yes. May, may if I wasn't sick and it was last weekend, maybe 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 uh, nice margarita. Are you like me in that if you wake up and it's dreary, especially uh, at this time of the year? The first thing you do is look at the weather app and be like, okay, when's the sun coming back? <laughs> Pretty much. I always check it out. Every day I get up and it's, well, it's more about, um, you got to figure out what you're wearing that day too. Yes. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to work later. Yes. What's the weather going to be like so I can decide what to wear? Yes. And also- I don't I, think that deeply about things. No? No. Well, I mean, you live literally like a stone's throw from the radio station. I, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a pretty fair weather guy, you know? <laughs> like I can wear jeans and a t-shirt almost in like- uh, you know, the weather here is like so consistent. It's usually between like, especially around this time of year, yeah. it's like between 10 and 15 degrees. So yeah, usually I kind of know I can get away with wearing a hoodie or a light jacket. But yeah, you, you don't have far to go though. That's the thing. Okay. Like you're like, this you're, true. you're walking like four minutes. Yeah. He's a seven hour and away. <laughs> yeah. And four <laughs> minutes is him dragging his feet I'm, to get here. I don't know. I'm more like a, I don't know. More like a pitching wedge, you know? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Flex. <laughs> I'm more of a wedge guy. Um, well, depending on our yardages, maybe for, for Ben, not even that much. Uh, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Enough of that. Uh, NHL draft lottery is coming up on Monday. The Vancouver Canucks with a 3% chance of winning the NHL draft lottery. Mm-hmm. A three whole percent. And a very quick sim lottery at uh, tankathon.com shows that the Anaheim Ducks are going to win. The Detroit Red Wings move up seven spots to number two, Columbus drafting number three, and so on and so forth. Canucks stay at 11. But um, I want to get in on the tankathon. For <laughs> Let me try it once. Maybe I have better luck than you. Maybe do. you have better luck than me. Well, generally. You do because I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I am not, like, look, look. We could look at the camera. I don't know if the camera can zoom in on this, but literally, <laughs> I just pressed it and it went to Vancouver. Uh, not, not kidding. So, <laughs> I, hey, manifest lottery. Manifest, manifest a draft lottery win. And I can't believe that has done it. <laughs> I was talking about this yesterday, but literally, I, Vancouver. There you go. All right. So, of two tries, uh, the Canucks won one of them. There we go. Fifty so percent. Ma- maybe the numbers are more like fifty percent. These numbers are all Fugazis. <laughs> um, we've been talking a lot about Fugazi numbers today, <laughs> but in this off chance yeah. that the three percent hits, or they even jump up to second. Right. There's mm-hmm. a few scenarios that could play out here for the Vancouver Canucks. Not to yeah. bore everybody with the math of it all. They could stay at 11. That Mm -hmm. is the most likely scenario. They could drop to 12. That is the second most likely scenario. And then the other more unlikely scenarios are jump to second in the overall, in second overall in the draft or jump and win the ultimate lottery all the way to first. Yes. So those are the outcomes for the Vancouver Canucks here. Okay. Do you want to start with the fun outcomes? Outcomes? Yeah. Let's start with the fun outcome. I mean, you just tankathoned it. You manifested it. I'm, I'm telling you. So... Let's say Vancouver wins the lottery. They get Connor Bedard. 
more than anything, how much does it change things? Like, how appreciable is it? And does it change your trajectory in any sort of way or any sort of decision making? It um, it helps quite a bit. Yes. I don't know how much it can realistically change for this team. In terms of decision making or how good you are next year? How like how much you can do this offseason? Because right. realistically, you're so capped out right now that you don't have much flexibility to be all that aggressive this offseason anyways. Like if you're going if you have Connor mm-hmm. Bedard and you're adding him, it's like it's almost like, hey, this is a great free agent ad that we can plug into our lineup yeah. this year. And now we can start building towards maximizing this player on their entry-level contract. And I think it would be like that for Bedard or even if they land in second and draft one of Fantilli or Carlson. You don't think that Patrice Bergeron or Patrick Kane would come and sign for <laughs> you know cheap contracts to play with Connor Bedard? Mm, no. <laughs> Probably not. Probably. Um, and I mentioned Patrick Kane because Bedard has spoken how much he admires Patrick Kane as a hockey player yes. and, and, and things like that, obviously. but His second favorite player to Tyler Mott. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, true. <laughs> Tyler Mott's his favorite player. But it's probably not going to change your right in terms of like your offseason planning. I know some have wondered, does this mean, hey, they'll trade JT now? You yeah. got your next center. Now you can move on. I don't know if it changes the equation for him. Because I think you look at it more about, okay, if that's the case, you have Bedard, you can look at it one of two ways. One, you say, okay, we take a longer-term approach, let's move some of the older guys, like JT, for instance. Or you say, well, here's your long-term uh, duo on that line, and JT can move to the wing, he's big, he's physical, he can do certain things. Do I, I'd actually, I'd wonder if they would like it, I, I wonder if they would view Bedard and Miller as a potential duo if they win to Bedard sweepstakes. For me personally, it would, uh, it would make me want to think more short-term. Like I, we harder. can win in the next three years on his entry level contract. So yeah, because Bedard's that good. Well, right? I mean, what and, have we said they're missing outside of a defenseman in the center? One more play driving forward, an impact forward. Yeah. Well, there it is. And Bedard, like, I think he seems like a great fit with uh, JT Miller, who's a, a really strong playmaker and can find a good shooter in good spots. And that's what bedard really is he's a guy who can get lost on the ice and that's what we've seen throughout his junior career and score a bunch of goals with that incredible shot of his so to me it works out that okay now you have a player you can plug into your top six most likely and all of a sudden you have a a person in the organization a player in the organization that can help graduate Miller back to the wing yeah. as he ages a little bit. Well, you find a not only you're right, not only can you maximize a short term, yeah. you have the ideal fit for him long term. But I do think is Bedard assuredly a center in the NHL? Does it matter? <sighs> Watch Matthew Kachuk right now. Some are, you yeah. know, we had Frank on and he said well, he's top five, three player in the league. Mm-hmm. Does if it matter? If you're doing a fantasy draft, how far yeah. do you get before taking Matthew Kachuk? Yeah. Is there any question with Bedard? Because, you know, he's, he's not the tallest guy, obviously. No. Not, and the, not the tallest guy, not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy either. Yeah, and, and I know there's been so, some suggestions about, hey, does Talkit view him as too small? Because there was a, uh, it was a <laughs> TNT uh, a panel once. Yes. It was more, if you watch it, it's kind of joking around a little bit too. But, he, you know, Talkit kind of questions whether you can be that effective down the middle being his size. Not right. that you can't be an effective player but playing center. So there are some questions. Long-term, is he a center or not? But does it truly matter if he's going to be the type of player he projects to be? Uh, when, when you have that kind of talent, I don't know if it um, matters that much. Yeah. 
like I think he's going to be an incredible player in the league. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's the best prospect since Connor McDavid, but I don't think he gets to Connor McDavid, McDavid's level, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be an incredible player in the league. Right. And McDavid's, if he is, as we've talked about, McDavid's in his own tier, his own class of player. Right. And I'm not doing the, Hey, let's, let's nitpick Connor Bedard, but we're talking about possibilities. Yes. What are, what's going to happen here? What are the potential risks or what are the potential outcomes? There is an outcome where he doesn't play the middle. So to your point, you think short-term more, more likely about, hey, we have a better chance to win. And you probably like the flexibility of, we have a guy who can play center, yeah, can play wing, having that versatility, and you have two guys here now long-term, you can kind of let it play out and not, not be too concerned about that. Um, a ton of uh, reaction coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. We'll get to some of those. This one comes in and it says, if you get Bedard, you mm-hmm. can trade next year's first and other draft picks to clear out some of the bad contracts. Now, what I do think, if you get Bedard, it forces you to move. I mean, I think they're already forced to, but yeah. it makes it even more important to move a Besser, Garland, uh, even Beauvillier type. And that, I think, becomes even more clear of a picture that that is something you absolutely have to do with this roster. One thing I would be careful with, and I'm not against the notion, if you get Connor Bedard now, whether it's one of your prospects or yeah. two of your prospects, it's a draft pick that you can be you know, creative with here. But I don't think you have to project next year to be a cup contending year. Mm-hmm. Be realistic. If you make the playoffs next season, even if everything aligns, you're probably not winning the cup. How far are you going? Maybe win around, maybe two. Hey, maybe you get to the Western Conference final, right? Or something. Yeah. Like if you get Bedard, you make a couple moves. I guess that's possible in a perfect world, but you're not winning the cup next year. No. So I think the best thing to do is not get overly ahead of yourself if you win a Bedard sweepstakes. Let next year play out. You'll be a contender in, in in terms of being a playoff team. You get in, all of a sudden it's exciting. Maybe you had a defenseman, a third line center, and hey, you got something to cook with. You have some you have some fun now, right? But wait for next year to play out. You get some more money off the books. Yep. Naturally, more things open up. The cap goes up, especially with the cap going up in a year or two. I'd be very careful with with offloading assets just because you got Bedard. You still need to be patient for one more year. I think that is ultimately um, how you would want to want it to play out, because especially as as mentioned with the cap situation, just play it slow. You yeah. know, you're going to have a pretty good team next year. Use it as a bit of a stepping stone into the next couple of years. And don't get uh, too trigger happy with moving futures because yeah. ultimately you're going to need those futures for the long haul to continue adding to this team with draft picks and picks and players into the into the program or using them in trade to add bigger pieces moving forward. Because remember, you know, like, yes, you have some money coming off the books, but you're, you know, you're going to have the Pedersen and Hronik yeah. contracts to figure out and other things that are going to have to take some time to to really figure out. But getting Bedard is essentially your big offseason acquisition. Oh, I and mean, now it's... you now you would start to put the pieces around that or start to figure out a plan to maximize that player in the next couple of years. I mean, it's it could be if, if things align once in a generation player, mm-hmm. once in a decade player, you know, you know, I mean, you're talking about rarefied air potentially here, yeah. right? So it, it's such a massive impact if you get him. So I think that's kind of what you look at if you win the sweepstakes to get Connor Bedard. Now, is it going to be any different if you finish second or pick second in terms of your overall outlook? 
I'm not sure it would. Not not now. I, I mean, outlook. Obviously, you have been hard. You feel a lot better. Maybe I should rephrase and say your decision making and planning. Again, I think it becomes your big offseason acquisition. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on if it would be Fantilli or Carlson. Do you not maybe project those guys though as like as much as they could play? Yeah, you're not sure if they will play. The feeling on Fantilli is that he wants to turn pro. He can turn pro all he wants. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But I'm just wondering, A, is he going to play every day at the level we expect? Or mm-hmm. is it going to take a little while? Which is fine. But if it if he comes in and has a Jack Hughes rookie season, yeah. which was okay. But, I mean, it's, it's not, it wasn't a needle mover in a massive way. Right. You know what I mean? I just wonder if those guys are going to have the type of immediate impact where we can look at it and say... That's an off-season acquisition. It's maybe not the same immediate impact. Um, you know, I think a realistic outcome would be, are they Uri Slavkovsky in, the, in right. his first year with the Montreal Canadiens, which wasn't very ceremonious, yeah. right? But he played as an 18-year-old in the NHL. Yes, which is very difficult to do. So there is that. Um, both of those guys, you could... You know, send them off to the World Juniors when that time comes mm-hmm. around and they're playing a little bit, but ultimately you need those kids to play, right? And that's, it's not the same level of player as Bedard, but it's still something, okay, now we have another premium player into this organization. I still think you're looking at it and saying, how do we try to maximize this player this entry-level contract, this potentially impact player over the next few years, how do we maximize that in a three-year window? I start to think of things in a three-year window if the Canucks get into second or first in the draft lottery. Yeah, it does create that window, especially on players who are going to provide at least one or two Mm -hmm. potentially high-level years on entry-level contracts. You know, you might get three from Bedard. You might get one or two from Fantilli Carlson, depending on when they sign. That's why with Carlson, I wonder, are you better off waiting a year? Mm -hmm. Let him play one more year in Sweden. Bring him up as a 19-year-old on an entry-level contract. And then? And then the the window starts. So I wonder if that's a decision. Because I think that next year, if, let's say, for argument's sake, Carlson and Fantilli both turn pro... I'm pretty confident that Fantilli is going to have a better rookie season. Fantilli may have a better first two years in the NHL. More physically mature or? Yeah, fast to skates well. He's going to be able to make an impact with how he plays. There's a lot he does really well. Mm -hmm. He's an impact player, no doubt. But I think long term, the ceiling, especially the offensive toolkit that Leo Carlson has, the things he can do, and I think the way he thinks the game is on a different level. And he could be the better player long term. But immediate impact, Fantilli is going to give you more of an immediate impact. Hockey IQ is something that uh, a lot of people speak about with Leo Carlson. Yeah. And it's not a bad trait to have as one of your premium, premium assets. 25 points in 44 games in the SHL this year. That's, so, as a 17, 18-year-old? Yeah. As a guy going into his draft year, yeah. that's uh, some rarefied air to have that type of point production going into your draft year in the Swedish league. So both are really promising prospects uh, we talked to Cam Robinson about this yesterday, and there seems to be a feeling if the Canucks were to win and jump to the second overall selection in the draft, they would prefer Carlson over Adam Fantilli. Yeah, it's hard to say now, it's, it's obviously. Very, it's very difficult to say. It, it lines up in terms of narratives. Yes. I mean, 
people might just be saying that that the industry might just be hypothesizing that because of the Swedish connection. Yeah, and hey, I'm and I'm not downplaying because Cam mentioned this, and Cam's you know really tuned in on this stuff. He's yes. well connected, and I don't doubt anything. I just I'm just saying like it, it makes a lot of sense, especially when we look at the narratives of Patrick Alvin, Sweden, the types of players they've looked at, and if you look at the projection, he's a type of player that I can see them really loving. But I don't know if they may not be enamored with Adam Fantilli. Because mm-hmm. Fantilli may just be so big, powerful, strong, fast, that it's kind of like, you know what? He's able to do certain things that other guys can't do. The only thing with him, we mentioned this yesterday a little bit, he plays a lot of hero puck. Yeah, I wonder how much he can truly get others involved consistently. Like He, he really needs to have the puck on his stick to transition, mm-hmm. especially playing up the middle and everything. Like Think Ryan Kessler, but different. Yeah. And that's one question I have, because then it's then it kind of becomes if you're not going to be a, a a incredible playmaker, an incredible you know assist guy down the middle, then you got to score a lot of goals, a lot of goals. Uh, you guys are really reaching. Canucks have a 97 percent chance of not getting a top pick. <laughs> I mean, like we said, we're talking about out- possible outcomes. Um, possible outcomes yep. ahead of the draft lottery. When we uh, tankathoned it, it was more like a fifty percent <laughs> chance of getting yes. one of, the, of getting the top pick. Um, a lot of uh, reaction coming in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, and there's a few along this line of questioning from Gerp from Surrey. I know it's Bedard, but if you were to get the first overall pick, what if somebody offers you a monster trade to move back a couple of spots and another stud D-man? That's oh. Gerp from Surrey. I mean, what would it have to be? We've had this conversation a bunch. It's like it, people want the or look at the Lindros trade Yeah, from Quebec to Philly. But everything kind of aligned on that, too. Everything aligned on that. I means Forsberg ended up being the best player. But I mean, if Lindros doesn't have his concussion issues. Yeah. I mean, he turned Philly into a juggernaut. Yeah. Right? Like Philly did make it to a cup final. Yeah, yeah. they got swept. But but if know. it wasn't for his health, we'd... Lindros, at that time, was the most dominant player in the league since Gretzky. Yes. Right? Like he had uh, the highest points per game average for a large portion of his career until... You know, those last couple where he came back and was clearly nowhere near the same player yeah. that he was during his prime. And But that took a player not wanting to be there yes. for that to happen. Yeah. Like a, a very, very public way of doing things. Bedard doesn't look like he's going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And the reason why nobody's going to trade the pick, whoever has it, it's such a financial windfall potentially here. Yes. If you have a superstar like him... Jersey sales, sold out building, pretty much all season long, guaranteed. You're gonna make like, think about the money aspect of it. Yeah, like it, it's it's almost it's too much of a golden egg to let it go. Yeah. way too much. Like the the potential if it hits, if everything hits, let's say because people think he could be the next McDavid, for instance. There's no trade you can make that's gonna replace the overall value on the ice, and let alone you know the monetary value to having that type of player. Even if a team were to give you like their next three first round picks, no, I have no like. There's no guarantee that that one of those first round picks equals anything close to the player that Connor Bedard might be. Yeah. So it would take. Um, like I just don't think there's a package that's realistic. No, I don't think there, so. There either. really isn't a package that would be realistic. No, not not just for the Canucks, but for any team. No, and somebody league. asked, you know, would Elias Patterson for first be a fair trade? I mean, no one's doing that. No, you know, nobody's doing that. As good as Patterson is, they're like, 
Wait, he, we we got to pay that guy $12 million next year? Yeah, like, and, and this guy's 18? Yes. Nobody's doing that. No. We have control of this guy for the next 10 years? And he may not even be as good as Pedersen long term. Yes. It's true. But because of all the potential here, yes. it's, it's, too, it's too promising and too valuable to let it go. Um, but we appreciate the texts. And you want to get to the reality and everybody's like, you know, crying about this is not, it's not going to happen <laughs> again. You know how you read articles that go through here, are the possibilities of yes. the draft and here are the players you could get. And if you get these players, here's what it does for you. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation here. So, so please just, just take it easy. But realistically, they're probably picking 11th or 12th. I don't know if 12th is realistic. 12th is, uh, I mean, is, is it a greater, is probably greater chance the Canucks move up. Than them dropping to twelve, no, or am I getting this? No, wrong? You're, you're getting. Yeah, it, it is wrong. Um, I, I think there's about a twelve or thirteen percent chance that they drop a spot. Twelve or thirteen percent chance. This thing doesn't make any sense. To I me. don't know. It's all funny math with this stuff. <laughs> I don't understand it. But nonetheless, so it's, it's 11th, more realistic. They're picking eleventh. Most more than anything, they're picking eleventh as the most realistic scenario. Eleventh yeah. overall, and I know the narrative out there is the Canucks ruin their their draft lottery and all these different types of things. It's and it's true. You know, they lessen their chances at yeah. you know getting a top pick. They, uh, you know. Lessen their chances of getting a top 10 pick because, you know, the chances are they're not getting a top 10 pick. Um, But, and I've said this before, the difference between 8th and 11th, is it a chasm of what player you're going to get at 8 or 11? I'm not so sure. And there's always going to be some players that jump up in the draft. You know, we talk about the right shot defenseman, whether it's Reinbacher mm-hmm. or Pelika and uh, Pelika, one of those guys I still believe is going to jump into the top ten. Probably one defenseman is. One defenseman is going to. It's been since 1985 that a defenseman hasn't been taken in the in the top ten. Somebody's going in the top. 10. One of those guys is going in the top. And 10. it may not even be one of those guys. Maybe somebody. But yeah. nonetheless, a defenseman's going. A defenseman's going in the top ten. There's going to be a couple of guys that end up dropping some really talented players that end up dropping because as we've talked about that second tier of players, it's actually pretty large this year. And that's one of the things that is so intriguing about this draft is, you know, you have those first four guys and then there's a second tier. That's a pretty big group of players. That's projecting to be really talented and really good NHLers. Well, and it comes down to how you view the tiers. Yeah. Right. Like, so some view the tiers as being the top four guys and another list of three or four guys. So if you're picking seven or eight, you're kind of right into that tier. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, you know what? You're kind of screwed nine, 10, 11, because you're not getting one of those guys in that higher tier. Now, I don't know if the consensus of that tier in the industry is the same. As finite? Yes. I think, and this is based on my discussions talking to people around, yeah. around, there is a lot of variance in how people view these prospects, especially like the top 15, 16 guys, a lot of variance. I mean, I've talked, I've spoken to people that, that view Will Smith as like a top five, four prospect and others I view him as like 11, 12, yeah. Oliver Moore, same type of thing. Even a guy like Zach Benson, I've seen different things. Andrew Crystal, for instance, I mean, there was a talk that he's going to be a top seven, eight pick. Now he may not even go in the top half of the first round, yeah. maybe even late in the first round, maybe not in the, like, who knows? All I'm saying is, and even last year, remember Kevin Korchinski jumped into seven. Now yeah. he was considered a high defenseman, but nobody thought he would go that high. Mm-hmm. My point is, as much as we're sitting here talking about the tiers, especially outside the industry, go and watch the drafts. It doesn't always break down the way we view it. Yeah. And this year, there's a lot of variance. The question just comes down to your draft list. 
if the Canucks are able to get, can the Canucks get a top six, seven prospect on their list at 11? Is that a possibility? It's a possibility. Will it break that way for them? Because every team has a different list. And this is why you oftentimes hear teams be like, well, we had this guy in the first round. And they're probably not lying because mm-hmm. that's probably the way their list broke down. Yes. Well, even last year, the Canucks had Lekaramaki as a top seven or eight talent. Yeah. Did they not? Yeah. They had him and a top had, eight, nine. Yeah. And they uh, they end up taking him at 15. Yeah. That's how they felt like we got a top eight guy there yeah. at number 15. Now, they could be right. They could be wrong about that. I just say be very careful in assuming that and it's great work everybody does outside the industry, of yeah. course, and it's, it's super valuable, but taking it as this is gospel in terms of how the draft's going to break out. And that's why I'm a little less like, there's a, I'd rather pick higher, of course, but I'm not sure the difference between 8 and 11 is necessarily as big as it may seem. Uh, 8 to 11 is a big difference. Didn't Pedersen go 8th? Uh, no, Pedersen went 5th overall. No. Quinn yeah. Hughes went 7th overall. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've sort of outlined this in some of our previous draft conversations, but is it uh, glass half full thinking about the Canucks ending up in an 11 or 12 spot? You know, sometimes that just outside the top 10 range, we've seen a lot of real quality players end up there because for those guys that get the hype leading into draft weekend and end up going yeah. in the top 10, there's a couple who were always projected to be there in the top 10 that fall out. Well, you know, exactly. And the other thing, so even even beyond that, one thing that is going to be available for them at 11 is, do you want a two-way type of centerman? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Dvorsky, who may be moving up, but Oliver Moore, yeah. one of the two may be there. Do you want a high-impact scoring winger, potentially? There's going to be one, a few of them available. Yeah. Do you want a, a potential defenseman? There's going to be one available. Do you want a high-impact winger? There will be one available. It may not be the guys in the top five or six, of course, but if you look at just look at the top 15 guys and prospects and profiles, a lot of players that are very similar. And, and there's a lot of variance. It's not a draft where it's like you, you look at 11 and say, well, all the skill guys are going to be gone. All the yeah. centers are going to be gone. All the defensemen are going to be gone. It's like you're going to have a bit of everything there. Just make sure you pick the right guy. A trend has been uh, centers and defensemen get uh, yeah. overdrafted a little bit in the top 10 in the last few years. We'll see if that happens again this year, especially with no real defenseman being projected as a top 10 talent. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Yannick Hansen joins us next on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Just to uh, sort of reiterate a point, um, you know, th- there's a lot of players that end up falling out of the top 10 that end up being stars, right? Like, look... <laughs> Yes, you'd always prefer to have the higher draft pick because it gives you more control over who you are able to select, mm-hmm. right? Um, we get that. But just in the last couple of years, you know, Calgary is super excited about Matt Coronado. He was drafted 13th overall. Uh, some guy named Anton Lindell, who the uh, Florida Panthers drafted at 12th overall, 
has had a pretty good first couple of years in the league, scored a goal yeah. for them last night, and uh, looks like a pretty polished two-way centerman. He was selected 12th overall just a couple of years ago. Uh, 12th overall in 2019 was Matt Boldy. So pretty much like you go through almost every single year, you know, one of these players, Noah Dobson was a 12th overall pick for the New York Islanders in 2018. So you just keep going through the lists. You don't have to look too far down, but a lot of guys, they drop out of the top 10 for whatever reason and end up being pretty quality players. Like, yeah, of to, course. To make it seem like the Canucks are in a terrible spot is uh, it's it's making a, a little bit of a meal of the real conversation here. It's not terrible. Could have been better. Uh, yes. Wish it was better, of course, right? I mean, Always. And hey, like look at the uh, 2016 draft. I mean, that was the last draft where people were like, you know, were, were falling over themselves trying to get the top pick for Austin Matthews. Yep. And he goes first overall that year. Patrick Laine second. Pierre-Luc Dubois third. Yessi Pugliarvi fourth. Olio Levy fifth. So already two of the top five are busts, right? Mm-hmm. And then Matthew Kachuk goes. Clayton Keller. You know, Clay- Keller's been you know fine, especially this year. Yeah. Then you get Alex Nylander, Mikhail Sergachev, Tyson Jost, Logan Brown, Michael McLeod, Jake Bean before you get to Charlie McAvoy. So in that group, there's one good player, and that's Mikhail Sergachev. And that is from pick eight all the way to 14. Yeah. It's where like that part. It's it's a it's a difficult part in the draft. There's going to be a star player there. You just got to pick the right one. But he, there are a lot of times you get seven, eight, nine. Those picks don't it's end up well because that's where you know teams have their second and third tier of player. Yeah, and that's where there's starts to be a lot of variance in how teams are drawing up their draft boards. Yeah. So you know it, it's going to be an interesting spot no matter what for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is Yannick Hansen here on Canucks Central. This analyst brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick joins us every Friday, and we do so appreciate it. Thanks for this, Yannick. As always, um, Give us the player perspective. Uh, how did you view the draft lottery? Did you was it on your radar as a player? It's only been one year that I've really paid. I, I watched it every year, and I watched it when it was it was going to. But there was only one year where I was like, "This this might make a difference for us." Um, that was back in uh, I want to say fifteen. It was Austin Matthew uh, draft that year. Um, I think we were scheduled for third overall draft pick. Um, and again, we 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 uh, had a potential to to get a, an impact player that would make a significant difference that year. Otherwise, our draft picks have been late enough that okay, whoever they get, they might turn out to be a, a great player and all and everything. But it's not for another two or three years. So so then it's a little bit too far removed for from a player's perspective. But when you look at a year like this, right, there's a guy like Connor Bedard available who is going to step into the lineup and maybe even second uh, second overall as well, whether it's Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson. These are guys who may be in the lineup next season. Now, if the team wins the lottery that way, I'm sure the guys would be pretty excited about maybe adding a player into the roster next year. No, of course. and that is, But that's the long shot now. Mm-hmm. Like When I say that year, it's because we had a legitimate chance. Um, right now, yeah, I think you're sitting at at three and a half percent in order to win. And yeah, there's a chance, and you'll tune in and see who it is. But it, it's hard to get your hopes up for when when the margins are are so slim for you to win. Uh, that being said, I'm sure everybody is crossing their fingers, toes, and just about everything you can in order to get Connor Bedard because he would catapult just about any um, organization in a completely different trajectory from where they are right now. 
So everybody is, of course, hoping for to be lucky to win, to bump up, to get that player that can shape a franchise for hopefully the next 15 years. Um, so there is a lot of hopes uh, uh, tonight, or not tonight, on Monday. Um, and then again, you can you can always hope to get lucky. For a lot of these teams that are sitting in this position, it's been some tough years, or at least one tough year for them and this is the one slimmer of hope that uh, okay this might uh, this might have been worth it for for all those sour games where you're sitting and uh, grinding your teeth hoping that your team will come out with a win can you uh, put it into context for us normies like just how difficult it would be for an 18 year old to play in the nhl it doesn't look like it's that hard anymore. Um, <laughs> I guess so, they, yeah. they come left, right, and the center. You see Wyatt Johnson in Dallas. Like uh, He's 19, but it's the same thing. Um, most of it is, is the maturity level. Um, you're walking into dressing rooms. Maybe not so much anymore. It is younger rooms. Um, but, but again, uh, the, the physical part of it, um, the intensity, the scrutiny, um, the attention, uh, all of those things. Once the puck is dropped, and you're playing, yeah, it's at a higher pace and better players and all these things, but it's the same game we've been playing for our entire lives. It's as soon as you step off the ice, um, and like I said, the spotlight is on you, and that's when it's uh, you're getting pulled in, in 15 different directions and all of these things. Uh, that That's where that this maturity has got to come in hand and, and pay off and, and being able to handle that part of it. Cause there, there's no question. All these guys are phenomenal hockey players and can play, contribute, shoot, skate, pass and score. Um, but, but how do you, how do you handle the limelight is, is what separates uh, a lot of these guys. In terms of the mentality, when you're 18, 19 years old, I mean, even if you're the most confident guy, I'm sure you're going to have moments where the NHL is very tough. There are going to be moments where you're not going to be feeling very good. Is, is the maybe the biggest challenge handling the rigors of an NHL season mentally? Yeah, doubt creeps in. Uh, you, you'll feel like you never score again. Um, you're not good enough. Um, all of those little things you say to yourself uh, when things aren't going your way. Um, and again, finding a way to, to overcome that. And again, it happens to everybody, and it happens again and several times. How you deal with them, how you get over them, learning how to get out of these slumps, um, the quicker, obviously better. Um, but, but again, it comes, down to, uh, it comes down to yourself, and again, you hope you have the right surroundings, guys helping you, uh, people that have been through it themselves that are now... 40 goal scores, 80 point guys. That they, it was the same thing when I was your age. I went 20 games without scoring as well. I was a healthy scratch as well. Um, but again, overcoming that adversity um, and being able to play not just five, ten good games in the NHL, but but 75. Um, again, that 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 is the challenge. On the uh, on the flip side, we heard from uh, Rick Tockett yesterday, and he. He was asked about JT being able to uh, play well into his 30s and talked about JT having the right mindset, and he's, he's even got a chef now that's, uh, that's going to help him through the course of the summer. Um, it, does, it, does a different level of maturity come as you age into your 30s as an NHL player? I think you become uh, a little bit more aware of, okay, maybe if I need to keep up here, I need to maximize everything uh, and that's not just my training uh, my on ice uh, but also my off ice how i live how i rest how i eat nutrition 
all of those things. Because um, there's no question when, when you become 32, 33, 34, you slow down, natural progression. And you're going to have a 21-year-old that comes in with rubber limbs that don't get hurt and just flies around, uh, won't be able to pull a grind on anything and for in order to keep up with these guys, you ha- you have to maintain yourself and get yourself in that peak uh, uh, shape uh, that that you need in order to compete on an every given night. And again, older players they they tap into just about anything and everything in order to gain a little bit of an advantage, um, staying around longer, uh, you name it. Where when you're younger, you have a little bit more of a happy-go-lucky look on it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, and it's funny because last week we were kind of talking about the sort of thing, right? Like guys who can age well. And, you know, we had a discussion about Joe Pavelski and you mentioned how when he went over to Dallas, you're like, well, I'm not sure this guy's going to be able to be as good as he is. And next thing you know, he's been able to. And then we saw the other night he scored four goals. I mean, I know Drysaddle got four the other night and both teams lost. But I mean, what went through your mind when you watched Joe Pavelski at the age of what, 38, score four goals in his return to a playoff game after suffering a concussion in the first round? Yeah, the professionalism, um, the way he takes care. I had the the pleasure of of watching him, um, how he he conducts himself. And I knew he was a good player and he was a phenomenal tipper and scoring all these goals, worked well in San Jose and all these. But but again, the the work that went into it, he, he did, if I say half an hour, 25, 35 minutes of tipping almost every single day, um, with him by himself out with a defenseman or two, shooting pucks, tipping from all over the direction, uh, forehand, backhand. Um, so again, he, he is the best at it, but he's the best at it because he probably worked the hardest at it. I've never seen anybody in, in my 10, 12 years work as hard on something specific like, like he did. And again, he is the best, so there, there's a reason. Um, but but it was no different. Um, the, the guys that that work that hard at their their craft, did they become better? And again, he has a niche that that's very very hard to imitate. Um, I wouldn't say they're easy goals to get, but a lot of times you stand there, and, and all it really takes is you hit that puck, it goes in because goalie's got no no chance. So they are a little bit easier goals to get once you can do it. The problem isn't being able to good enough in your hand-eye and all these things that are, are almost second nature to him. Uh, but yeah, again, the the, the professionalism that, that he carries himself with and, and the work he, he puts into his craft is, is second to none. Does the... Um... You know, the amount of games played as you get older as a player, the you, you know all your reads a little bit better, you take better angles, take better routes to pucks. Like, How much can that help as you age in your career? I don't know. I think it's like it, with him it is in his head. He, he just knows where to be right. and where to be and how to get there. Because, um, again, the, the ice is only so big and it's going so fast. Um, but, but some guys just have a... Uh, a sixth sense as to okay if i go here this guy's gonna shoot it's gonna come off his pad it's probably gonna come to me if i squeak over here and like i said he's not the fastest guy but he's right there where the puck comes out three or four times now just in these two playoff games they've played in the second round where it's pouncing right about out to his stick where you could say it could have been anybody else it could have been a defenseman a defensive center another winger but no it's him and you can't say, oh, it's just lucky. It just happened to be there because it happens again and again and again. And that's where, I mean, some of these guys, they, they just know where to go. And then you get the sense, oh, the puck is following him around. No, he knows where the puck is going. That's why he's there. And then you can say, yeah, the puck is following him around. But uh, it's credit goes to the player here as well. 
Yannick Hansen, our guest. Uh, so uh, the, the spotlight on uh, Toronto as they are now in the uh, second round of the playoffs and the spotlight on Sam Bennett, I guess, after the antics he pulled in the, in the game last night. And I, and I guess, you know, kind of my question is, um, how much did you know you could get away with in the playoffs, Yannick, when, you know, maybe the ref's not looking, you get an extra little uh, slash in or whatever it might be. And how much did you want to get away with in a playoff game? Yeah, it's like that one. It right, like I didn't have an issue with either play. Uh, he did. It's a penalty. There's no no question, and he's gonna get fined too because of the cross check. But it it rides up. It, it's not a a vicious. I'm gonna get you in the neck here on the head with the cross check. No, it rides off his shoulder and goes up and hits him in a bad spot. And then boom, you you get dinged. Um, the hit behind the net, no issues either. Um, Normally, you, you take note in, in the beginning of a game is like, how hard can I hit here? How hard can I finish my check? Um, how many steps am I allowed to take? Am I allowed to skate from, from the red line center ice all the way down to the inboards and finish my check on a defenseman without letting up? And if they let that go, then like, okay, there's no hitting outside an elbow in the head that's going to get called. Um, then you kind of get the sense of how physical we're allowed to be. On the other side of that, we play a penalty kill, and I stand and I'm covering the guy in the high slot, and I'm, I'm giving him a, a gentle whack on the back of the leg and looking around, okay, that's allowed. Then we're going to whack him a little bit harder and, and see where, where the, it kind of goes. Again, you, you're not going to take that penalty, but, but, but you also know, okay, today we can, we can actually whack somebody here and, and be a little disruptive. Um, so, so it's about the first 5, 10 15 minutes of a game, you, you get a sense from the referees as to what goes today and, and what doesn't. Um, and they can shift from game to game, series to series. Um, you, you never know. Um, it, it's just a matter of, okay, what, what gets called first and, and how much are they letting go? Um, and, and then you play within those boundaries. When you are a team like Toronto, for instance, right? Like they, they win the first series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, that was also a bit of a physical series, but they were able to use a lot of their skill and, and they were able to counter counter attack. But here the issue with this Panthers team is they're big, they're physical, they're fast. Now they're down two nothing. What's it like mentally when you're kind of losing the physical battle and you're down two nothing, even if you have a lot of talent, does it kind of become a bit of a mental block here in terms of beating a team that's out physicaling you? Yeah, I, I think they're they're catching them a little bit off guard here. Um, Toronto and uh, and Tampa had been in the playoff spot for the last two three months. There there was never any doubt really outside the first ten games of Toronto's that that they weren't going to be a playoff team. Um, so you've kind of been lulled in here, and then you play a team equal to you that are your nemesis uh, and all these things. We got to beat them and everything, um, and you do. And there's this huge relief in, in Toronto. But now you run into a Panthers team who's been fighting for a playoff spot for the whole season pretty much after uh, being bowed out in the second round last year, who's been entrenched in battles, going into against the best team and upsetting them. So, so you have this different hunger on a team versus a Tampa who is by no means a, a cakewalk, uh, skilled, uh, experienced in all these things. But the other team might have a little bit more hunger in a sense and, and have played this playoff atmosphere style game for the past couple of months and it's probably catching Toronto's off guard a little bit um, and again like that letdown from that huge win not to say Florida's win wasn't big either but like there's no question if you took the temperature in, in Toronto and Florida after those two wins uh, it, it, Toronto was on a different level it, it was their it was their dragon if you will uh, where Florida yeah they 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 
beat a, a, a came from underdog and all these things. But but again, it wasn't like if they lost there, it was like okay, yeah, well, we played against the best team that's ever been in a regular season. Where if Toronto loses again, it's I don't know how many first round exits now and disappointment. So um, they're probably getting caught off guard a little bit. They they can you know complain about the referees as much as they want or um, you know even say they they got goalied a little bit because yes Bobrovsky has played well in the series so far but they lost that game in a, in a minute last night Yannick right the the two turnovers the first one from Nylander in the neutral zone and then the second one from Marner and Matthews in their own end like playing with the puck around the defensive blue line it's just I thought they would have learned these lessons by now after all these years of being in the playoffs and having these types of mistakes. Yeah, it's it's a game of mistakes. There's no other way to put it. Uh, and you got to find a way to eliminate it. It's easier said than done, of course, because they're creative players and there's a reason they're so good offensively. It's because they take some chances and they get away with them. But right here, they, they, got, they got punished uh, right away. The problem is not the first mistake. It's that when you make a couple of mistakes in a row, like the first mistake we're okay with, Second one, we're going to be in trouble. Third one, well, it's going to end up in the back of our net. Mm-hmm. So you can look at those plays, and yeah, there's turnovers uh, on the boot, but we still got we got people back. But but then we forget a guy on the back door, uh, cross eyes pass through three or four guys um, that should have been cleaned up as well. So th- there's a bunch of little things that goes into this. But but again, you 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 can't shoot yourself in the foot this time of year because because then it's going to be a a really short spring for you. You know, turning our sights to that Edmonton Oilers uh, Vegas Golden Knights series. Now it's only one game, but you know we've spoken about um, Leon Drysaddle in the past, and his numbers in regular season are astronomical. They're even more impressive in the playoffs. He has seventy-four points in forty-four games, had four goals the other night, fifteen points in seven games this year, had thirty-two and sixteen last year. I mean, do we talk enough about him maybe being the best player in the league? I know it's McDavid, but does he deserve more discussion in, in, in terms of that equation? No, there's no question. He he's right up there as the second, third best player in the league. Um, there's also no question that he benefits from playing with McDavid. Um, everybody would. Um, he demands so much attention. He draws so many guys, and then you leave potentially the second best guy in the league open for backdoor one-timers often because you're so terrified of McDavid going through two or three other guys and scoring himself um, that. Again, they they feed off his, each other so well, and they can do it on their own. Um, but but again, there, there's no question um, he will always get get looked at a little bit because he's playing with McDavid. But but he he's he's right there, phenomenal hockey player, and and everything he does is, is to a T. Um, so it's it's hard to say, oh, does he get enough credit or not enough credit? Um, because they're carrying the team. As a one-two tandem, there, there, there's no question about that. Yannick, we uh, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, you too. Take care. There is Yannick Hansen uh, joining us here on Canuck Central. Always some great insights from Yannick on the player perspective. And we'll get into a little bit more of the Stanley Cup playoffs a little bit later on in the show. But interesting to hear a player and, and Yannick's perspective on I guess 2016 when the Canucks were pretty not good. <laughs> yes. And that was the one year where you started to kind of think and wonder like, hey, could this Austin Matthews kid help us out? 
It's also like the year after McDavid. Yes. Right? So, so it was like you saw the McDavid. You saw McDavid's impact right away, and you're seeing – I'm sure you would hear that Austin Matthews is playing in Austria and is dominating, or I think it was Switzerland he was playing in, in his age 18 year, his draft yeah. year, and he was playing incredibly well. You know, so, you know, when you're – like, it's hard for NHL players to think that way, and most of them don't. Most of them don't care about some prospects that's coming into the organization. No, unless you, you have the chance to get the first pick or yeah. something like that. Um, but that's it, kind of how it works. And that's why, you know, when you're telling people to – you can't really tell players or coaches to tank, as we talked about so often through the end of the season. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Coming up, we're going to get into the mailbag and your questions for us here on Canuck Central. I'm uh, I'm certain there may be a question or two about uh, some former Russians that played for the Canucks. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's you'll, not what I think. Uh, you'll hear that next uh. on Canuck Central.